Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. All right, if you have a Bible, open it with me to Jeremiah chapter 42. Jeremiah chapter 42. We have today and we have next week left in our Jeremiah series. We'll be going to the book of Mark soon, and so that'll be fun. But today um, we're in Jeremiah chapter 42. As you're turning there, I heard this quote this week. It says, when you, when you come to the fork in the road, just take it. All right? When you come to the fork in the road, just take it. Um, that's said by a guy named Yogi Berra. Uh, that's, the, that's the baseball player, not the cartoon. Right? Um, yeah, that joke didn't work in the first service either. But uh, come on, man. Yogi Berra, that's some, that's some old school throwback type stuff right there. Yogi Berra, he said, when you come to a fork in the road, just take it. And I know that that's really catchy. But what does that mean? You know, like that's not super helpful. How many of you would say you struggle making decisions? Nobody? Okay, a few of you. You're like, I don't know whether, I can't even make the decision whether or not to raise my hand right now, you know? Um, so a fork in the road, obviously, you know, you know that saying. That's referring to, you know, it can be literal. You come, you're, you're driving and, and the road kind of wise off and you got a choice to make which way you're going. Whenever we talk about forks in the road in our decision making, it's kind of that same thing. Which way am I going to go on this? And you make those kind of decisions all the time, whether you realize it or not. You know, even today, just getting up and what are you going to wear to church is kind of a fork in the road type of moment. Do I wear this one or this one? And I always ask my wife and she always picks the one that I didn't want to wear anyway. But it's a decision you got you to face. Where am I going to eat? That's a decision, you know. And, and a lot of those, I know those aren't life or death. Those aren't even that big of a deal, but they're decisions you got to make. There are bigger decisions that we make all the time. Um, you know, like where am I going to live? Um, you know, teenagers, what school am I going to go to? What my major is going to be when I get there? What kind of job am I going to have whenever I get out of here? Like these are big decisions. Those are weighty. They, they have ramifications to them. And so we face these kind of things all the time. And so is the saying, when you come to a fork in the road, just take it. Is it very helpful at all? You know, um, what would you give to know God's plans for your life? You know, like, if you could just know for certain what God's plans are for your life, I'm sure, like, you would give a lot for that. And, and I think the bigger question is, if he told you, would you actually follow, you know? And that's what we see in our text this morning. Jeremiah chapter 42, uh, the people of Judah are at a fork in the road moment. They have a life or death decision to make. It is a crucial decision. It's not just what clothes to wear or where to eat. It is a crucial life or death decision to make. So, a little context about what's happening in Jeremiah chapter 42. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that um, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has come into Jerusalem and he's just kind of ransacked the whole thing. He destroyed Jerusalem, killed a bunch of people, burned the temple, burned their homes and all that. He took a group of the people who were still alive and deported them back to Babylon. They're called the exiles, right? That's like Daniel and the boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go to Babylon. They're the exiles. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Jeremiah 29 is, is where we talked about that. Today, the group of people still in Judah are the leftovers. 
They're the remnant. They're the people who are left behind when King Nebuchadnezzar takes a group of people back to Babylon after he's destroyed the city. Are you with me? So this is the people left behind. And, and what happened when King Nebuchadnezzar uh, destroyed the city, took the people out, is the people who were left behind, he assigned someone to be governor over those people and kind of rule over it. It's a guy named Gedaliah, I think is how you say his name. I don't know. So I'm just going to call him Governor G, all right? Governor G is put in charge by King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and so King Nebuchadnezzar also leaves some Babylonian troops there to help Governor G rule the people. Well, what happens is there's a, a, a clash of power, basically. The other people who are left behind, the other rulers of the armies there, they got jealous. They wanted to be in control. And so what happens is this guy named Ishmael, who is one of the leaders of one of the armies, he comes in and assassinates Governor G, kills all the people that are there with him, and... King Nebuchadnezzar's troops. That's a problem, right? That's a problem. So the people who are left there with this mess are now panicked because they know when, when King Nebuchadnezzar finds out what happened to the governor he left in charge and his troops being killed, he's not going to be happy with that, is he? And so he's going to come back. And so they're, they're afraid of what's going to happen. And so the group of people that we see in this text, um, it's, it's some of the commanders of the army and some of the people there they chased off Ishmael, let, he, he ran off to the Ammonites, but now they're left with this problem. What do we do? At the end of chapter 41, that group of people decides that they're going to take the remnant of Israel, the remnant of Judah, the people who are left behind, and they're going to go to Egypt. Okay? They're going to escape. They're going to go to Egypt because they're afraid King Nebuchadnezzar is going to come back to Judah and kick some more tail. All right? They don't want that to happen. Before they go, they ask Jeremiah to pray and ask God for direction. They want Jeremiah to pray to God and say, God, are we supposed to go to Egypt or are we supposed to do something else? And what we're gonna see in this text before we read it is it's great to seek the direction of God, but it's meaningless unless you're willing to actually follow his instructions, all right? So before we read the text, I want us to pray, ask God to speak to our hearts, and so I'm gonna pray for all of us, and in this time, just pray uh, for yourself. Ask God, would you speak to me in this moment? Let's all pray together. God, we want to ask that you would do just that. Would you speak to us? God, we don't need to hear anything that I have to say, but we need to hear everything that you have to say this morning. And so would you help us just to calm everything that, that we brought in here? God, if there's anybody here who maybe this is their first time ever in church, this whole thing is new, they don't even know what's going on. God, I'm asking specifically in this moment, would you speak to them? Would you speak to me? Would you speak to every single one of us in this room through your spirit and through your word? We're listening. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, so in your Bibles, verse 7 is where we are going to be. In the first six verses, the people said, Jeremiah, pray for us. Ask God to give us direction and some instruction. And we promise whatever he says, we're going to listen to. That's what verse 6 says, okay? So here's, here's how God responds through Jeremiah, verse 7. At the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and he summoned Johanan, son of Korea, all the commanders of the armies who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest. Those are the people who ran Ishmael off, and now they're wondering, are they supposed to go to Egypt or not? He said to them, this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel to whom you sent me to bring your petition before him. If you will indeed stay in this land, then I will rebuild you and not demolish you. 
and I will plant and not uproot you because I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought on you. Don't be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Don't be afraid of him. This is the Lord's declaration. Because I am with you to save you and rescue you from him. I will grant you compassion, and he will have compassion on you and allow you to return to your own soil. But, verse 13, if you say, we will not stay in this land in order to disobey the Lord your God. And if you say, no, instead, we'll go to the land of Egypt where we will not see war or hear the sound of the ram's horn or hunger for food, and we'll live there. Then hear the word of the Lord, remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. If you are firmly resolved to go to Egypt and stay there for a while, then the sword you fear will overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine you're worried about will follow on your heels there to Egypt, and you will die there. All who resolve to go to Egypt and stay there for a while will die by the sword, famine, and plague. They will have no survivor or fugitive from the disaster I will bring on them. Do you see what, what God answered? They clearly, they asked for some clear direction from the Lord after 10 days, which I know if you're praying and asking the Lord for, for his direction for your life, 10 days, a week and a half, that's a long time. But God answers them through Jeremiah and he answers very clearly. Did you see what he said? He says this. Basically, I, I'm giving you kind of two, two parts to the same question. You're wanting to know what I want you to do? Here's what I'm telling you. Stay put. Don't leave Judah. Don't leave Judah, stay right where you are. And if you do, you're gonna live. I'm gonna rebuild you, I'm gonna plant you. He says, don't be afraid of King Nebuchadnezzar. I control him. I'll, I'll grant compassion uh, through him to you. And, and not only is he gonna be nice to you, but you're gonna get to go back to your homes and your land, all right? So that's, that's this side of the fork in the road that they're facing. Over here he says, but, verse 13, if, you decide to go to Egypt, well, it's not gonna go well. If you go down this path, if you go to Egypt, you're gonna die. The, the war that you're afraid of is gonna catch you there in Egypt. The starvation that you're worried about, that's what you're gonna find in Egypt. You're gonna die there. Essentially, everything that you're running from here at home, you're gonna find in Egypt. Don't go there. That's pretty clear instructions, isn't it? <laughs> like, it's pretty clear. There's a, they're at this fork in the road moment, and over here, God is saying, this is the good one. Over here, there's this giant flashing red light that says, don't go to Egypt, okay? So, we're going to see what they choose here in just a moment, but before we do, I think this, this uh, text really speaks to us. Maybe you're facing a, a fork in the road moment this morning. Maybe you're trying to weigh out some kind of decision. What do you do? I think we see here in the first few verses of this text what you can do. If you are genuinely, all right, and that word is intentional, that word is, is crucial. If you are genuinely seeking the Lord's direction in your life, here's what you do. Number one, trust God's plan. Trust God's plan. We see that in verses nine and 10. In verse nine, God says, this is what the Lord says. You ask for an answer, I'm answering you. And so just know this, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever direction you're seeking, God responds when you seek him. And I know that that sounds obvious. That sounds so elementary. But if you're seeking an answer, 
The first step is to ask for an answer. And that's the one thing that these people do right in this story, is they ask the Lord to speak. They ask for his direction, and he's faithful to answer, just like he's faithful to answer you as well. And the difference is you don't need a Jeremiah. You don't need a prophet. Christian, you have access to God yourself. He has placed his spirit inside of you. He's placed his spirit to guide you and direct you and be his presence with you. But not only that, he's given you his word. And this is how the Lord speaks to us today. God speaks to us through the spirit of God, through his word. If you're seeking direction in your life and you feel like maybe you got some kind of word from the Lord that's, that's kind of outside or somebody spoke something to you, listen, if it doesn't align with, with this, then it's, you just need to take a pill or something for indigestion or heartburn because that's all that is. God will never contradict his word. And so if you're looking for direction, you can trust the plans that he has clearly laid out in his word. That's the reason I would say you need to know his word. You need to be in it. You need to surround yourself with people who know the word of God. So God clearly speaks when they ask him to. They ask for direction, he gives it, and he says, here's my plan. And he lays it out in verse 10. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rebuild you, I'm gonna plant you. Essentially what he's saying is, I have plans for your good. I have plans for your good. That sounds a whole lot like what we talked about a couple weeks ago, Jeremiah 29, 11, doesn't it? There he was talking to the exiles, the people who were taken back to Babylon. And what he says is, I, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. I have plans for your good, not for disaster, but for a future and a hope, right? That's what he told the exiles. In Romans chapter 8, he tells us, we, we know all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Listen, you can trust the plans of God because his plans are always good. His plans are always for your good, and they're sure. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I just said uh, because that does not mean his plans are always easy, does it? Again, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your good, not for disaster, but for a future and a hope. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago out of Jeremiah 29 that that is in the context of God saying, but you're gonna be there 70 years. You're gonna likely die in Babylon. And so we're, we're not talking about his plans being all, all fruity and flowery and always just good, but you can trust that he knows what he's doing. God will probably call you to some difficult things. He may call you, like he's calling these people here, to stay put when everything inside of you is screaming to run the other direction. But because you know that his plans are good, you can trust him. You can trust his plans, knowing, even though I don't understand what's going on, I know that his plans are always better than mine, right? So if you're genuinely seeking the direction of God, number one, you, you, you trust God's plan. Number two, trust God's presence. Trust God's presence. Recently, my two boys have been having a hard time going to sleep at night. And, uh, you know, they, they say that they're scared. I'm not, I'm not sure. They, they, they're, they're crying. I don't know if they're just wanting some attention or if they're actually scared. We took them to see, um, with our kids' ministry the other night, the Prince of Egypt movie. Anybody go to that? Yeah, a few of you. Um, I forgot that the Prince of Egypt movie, uh, it outlines all of the plagues in Egypt. And it's kind of scary, you know, to a kid. And so 
they've been having a hard time sleeping at night, and um, we've had some good conversations about what God was doing in those moments and, and all of that. But what I've done as their dad, they're having trouble sleeping, waking up in the middle of the night with bad dreams and stuff. I will go in, and I'll just lay down next to them in their bed. And it's amazing. Like, within minutes, they're just fast asleep. It's like, what happened? Well, dad's here, <laughs> you know? And in their mind, this isn't true, but in their mind, they think, well, dad can beat up anybody or anything, you know? So there's nothing to be afraid of here. Dad's here. In the same way, that's what's happening here in verse 11. God says, don't be afraid of the king of Babylon. Don't be afraid of Nebuchadnezzar because he says, I am with you. I'm with you to save you and rescue you from him. Essentially, don't be afraid of Nebuchadnezzar because I am here. See, I know that this whole story seems like it's a story about location, doesn't it? About whether to stay in Judah or go to Egypt. It seems like it's a story about location, but it's, but it's really not. It's a story about a person. It's about trusting God and staying close to him. See, they're so afraid of King Nebuchadnezzar. Like, that's their greatest fear. They're so afraid of him that they think, because he's so powerful and he's coming, well, I need to find a more powerful earthly king. And the only one that they could think of is Pharaoh. And they forgot <laughs> that they had the God of armies on their side. And I think we do the same thing today, right? We face these different trials or challenges or struggles that we go through in life and we look to solutions and try and take control in all these different ways and we forget that the God of all creation is on our side, that he is present with us. Romans chapter eight, verse 31. I know that you know this verse. It says, if God is for us, then who is against us? And again, I know that you know that verse. You've probably quoted that verse. You may have it on a coffee cup or, or on your wall somehow. But stop and think about that verse for a second. If God is for you, and he is, then what could be against you? What could be against you? That is a promise straight from him. So Christian, I'm not sure what you're up against this morning. I'm not sure what you're wrestling with. But I know for a fact that God is good and that he is with you. And you can trust that. You can, you can trust that. His promises to be with you, his presence is with you. He places, again, the Holy Spirit inside of you. John calls the Holy Spirit the comforter because his presence brings us comfort, right, in the midst of whatever you're facing. So you can trust him. He's never gonna leave you. So if you're seeking God's direction, you trust his plans, you trust his presence. Number three, finally, you trust God's power. Trust God's power. Look at verse 12. He says, I will, this is God talking, I will grant you compassion, and he will, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, have compassion. <laughs> God says, I, I control Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to grant you compassion that's going to flow through this king of this pagan country. Don't worry about him. God lets them know in this moment who is actually in control. See, their greatest fear, again, is King Nebuchadnezzar, and God's like, I'm gonna make him like a little puppy dog. You, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna grant compassion to you through him, and he's gonna actually have compassion on you. Not only is he gonna be nice and kind and all that, but he's actually gonna send you back home to your, to your land. You're gonna retake your land, retake your homes, but you're so focused on him that you forgot about me, is what God's saying. 
And so I think this is where this conversation really may kind of boil down. This is really what it all comes down to. When you're seeking God's direction, do you actually believe that God is all-powerful and that he is in complete and total control? Whatever it is you're facing, do you believe that God is in complete control? So that's, that's what God answered to them. This is how the story ends for them. Because God is all-knowing and all-powerful, well, God knew something that they didn't know. They wanted to go to Egypt to get out of, you know, out of Babylon's way. They wanted to go to safety and find food and all the things that they needed. That's what they wanted, but they didn't know what God knew. And God knew that King Nebuchadnezzar's next target was Egypt. That's where he was going next. And so the people of Judah trying to escape war, trying to escape King Nebuchadnezzar, actually marched right into the way of his next target. That's where they were headed. They just walked right into the middle of another bloodbath with Babylon. So trying to avoid King Nebuchadnezzar, they meet him in Egypt, and they die. That's what the next couple of chapters in Jeremiah will outline for you if you want to read that this afternoon. But they, they go... Just, to, just like God told them not to, and they die there. And you're like, what happened? Why would they do that? God clearly told them. <laughs> Put up the giant flashing red lights over here saying, don't go to Egypt, and they just go. Listen, they, they didn't listen to God because they weren't genuinely seeking God's direction. I told you that word is crucial here. They weren't genuinely seeking God's direction. Verse 20 makes it clear. I like how the New Living Translation treats this verse, it says, Jeremiah tells him, he says, you weren't being honest when you asked for the Lord's direction. You weren't being honest when you sent me to pray to the Lord your God for you. You said, just tell us what the Lord our God says and we will do it. And Jeremiah says, and you lied. You didn't mean that at all. And for us, you just need to know that there's a real difference in genuinely seeking direction from God and just asking him to bless the plans that you've already made. And that's what they're doing here. We do that ourselves. We're not really interested in God's plan. We just want his stamp of approval on what we want to do. <laughs> Here's the truth about people. People will always default to what they want to do. Always. If you doubt that, just look at a toddler. <laughs> and you'll see, you know, the, the depravity of mankind in a, in a toddler, won't you? Like you tell them something not to do and they're just gonna find a way to do it or they're gonna scream until they get their way, right? They're just bent on what they want to do. And we never grow out of that. Uh, if you are a boss or a manager of people, grown adult people, you know that this is true as well. People will always default to what they want to do. In fact, a, a leadership principle that you're taught is to, you gotta get people in, in your care, under your leadership, you've gotta get them to want to do the thing that you need them to do. Because we're just gonna always do what we want to do. And in this case, they wanted to go to Egypt. So they did. Chapter 43, verses one through seven, outlines this. Verse seven just says clearly, they went to the land of Egypt because they did not obey the Lord. So they just wanted to go. 
They wanted God to put his stamp of approval on their plans, and God didn't do it, but they go anyway. And I know that I said that this, this story is, is not about a place, and it's, and it's not. But you do need to understand what Egypt is in the Bible. And it's a very real place, and real events took place there, but it's, it's part of a bigger theme of Scripture. Egypt, all throughout the Bible, represents oppression, persecution, and slavery. So the Bible is, if you don't know it, the Bible is one story. It's not a bunch of disconnected things. It's all one story, and it all ultimately points us to Jesus, right? And in the Bible, throughout the history of Israel, Egypt always seems like a place of deliverance, but it always ends as a place of oppression and slavery. So the, the story of Israel. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is trying to escape a famine in the land, and he decides, I'll go to Egypt. And what happens when he gets there? He goes to Egypt. Pharaoh sees his wife, Sarah, who's apparently attractive, and Pharaoh takes his wife into his own bedroom and makes her his new wife, right? That didn't end well for Abraham and Sarah. Uh, several years later, the great-grandson of Abraham, a guy named Joseph, thrown into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt, right? He, he starts in prison. He works his way up into being like the second in command in Egypt. He's like Pharaoh's right-hand man. And so what happens is, is all of Joseph's family ends up moving to Egypt from another famine, Genesis chapter 45 through 47 in that area. So all of his family relocates to Egypt to escape a famine. They begin to set up shop. They start to multiply and have children. 430 years later, that family, who Joseph was second in command in Egypt, is now, 430 years later, slaves. So again, Egypt always seems like it's a place of relief, but it ends up in oppression and slavery. And so God, when they are in, in slavery, God has a plan to save them and free them from Egypt. He raises up a man named Moses, right? And Moses is going to be the deliverer of God's people. And what God does is he uses 10 plagues, right? You know this story. Again, it's Prince of Egypt. We just talked about it a little bit ago. He uses these 10 plagues to get the heart of Pharaoh to let the people of God go. And you know that. You know those, those stories. The last plague, do you remember what it was? It was the Passover. That's where, that's where God, the final step, the, the final piece of the puzzle that finally allowed Pharaoh to, to let the people go out of 430 years of slavery was God sent the angel to come through and kill every firstborn male in every single household except for the ones that had blood of a lamb over their doorposts. God had told his people, this is how you'll be spared. Make a sacrifice, kill a lamb, spread the blood over the doorpost. And that's exactly what happens. The angel comes through. Every firstborn is killed except for the Hebrew people, the people of God. And they are set free by Pharaoh through that event. God opens up the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. God has freed them from slavery and oppression in Egypt, leads them through to wander in the wilderness for a time where eventually they will get to the promised land, right? But what happens as soon as they get through the Red Sea? I mean, almost immediately, they start wanting to go back to Egypt. 
They're like, at least over there we could eat steak. And it's like, are you crazy? You're just out of 400 years of slavery that God freed you from. But it just shows us that even though they're free from slavery, they're not quite free from the draw back into it. And over and over again, throughout the history of Israel, that's what you see. In fact, the downfall of King Solomon was he married into the line of Egypt, right? Married into the line of Egypt, uh, Israel splits into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and it's just civil war all the time. So this partnership with Egypt is a thing that they struggle with uh, throughout their history. And then now, here in this story, the people of Judah are drawn back into Egypt, It's just a constant cycle of being drawn into the thing that will entrap you and enslave you and keep you in slavery, right? And you and I face that same thing. We're just drawn into the thing that that is poison for us. We're drawn into sin. We're drawn into the thing that just traps us and oppresses us and persecutes us. Hosea 11, 7, my people are just bent on turning from me. And so we're drawn into that. We are drawn to Egypt. Right? And so what God needed to do is step in and break the cycle. He needed to step in and stop this drawback to Egypt. And so that's exactly what God does. In Matthew chapter 2, God tells another guy named Joseph to take his family and go to Egypt. If you know that story, that's the story of Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus escaping to go to Egypt. King Herod, the king in that area of Bethlehem, he, he had issued a decree that every boy two years old and younger needed to be put to death because he's trying to wipe out this Messiah, right? That goes back to a, a line in, in Genesis 3, 15, that there's gonna be combat between uh, man and woman forever, that, that there's gonna be an ultimate clash between Jesus and Satan, all right? We're seeing it in Matthew chapter two, but what's happening here is Matthew in his book, he wants us to see Jesus as this new and better Moses that's come to deliver his people once and for all from Egypt, from slavery, from oppression, from sin. And so Jesus comes, and and Matthew likes to show us he goes into Egypt to reverse this type of curse, and Jesus comes out of Egypt to deliver his people just like Moses did. And just as Moses was able to deliver his people in slavery through the Passover, that's exactly what Jesus does as well for us. He is the Passover lamb. That's the reason John says in, in his gospel, John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is the Passover lamb, the ultimate Passover lamb, that his blood will be spread across the wooden crossbeam of the cross that he hung on for your sin and for mine. And all of those who are underneath the blood of Jesus, those who trust him for their salvation, will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from Egypt. Saved from slavery. Saved from oppression and persecution, the things that your sin brings on. Do you see it? It's all one connected thing. Jesus is saving us from that. And then what happens is as he stands, uh, we stand at this crossroads moment, right? What he did, his death and his resurrection on your behalf and mine, it paid the payment that your sin demanded. His, his, his blood paid the, paid the cost. His resurrection proved that he's God and proved that he has power over sin and death so that you and I can come into relationship with him. But then scripture is clear that there's a choice that we need to make. We stand at this crossroads, this fork in the road. 
what will we choose? Will we trust God or will we not? You know, it's this fork in the road thing. That quote that I, I shared with you earlier from Yogi Berra, when you come to a fork in the road, just take it. I started wondering, like, what did he mean by that? <laughs> Turns out he was giving directions to his house. Maybe, maybe some of you have kind of a similar thing where, like, there's a couple of different ways you can go and still end up at your home. Well, that's what he was telling a buddy. When you come to the fork in the road, just take it. All roads lead to the same place. And I want you to know, whenever it comes to Jesus, whenever it comes to a relationship with him, all roads do not lead to the same place. There's two very clear paths to take. And just like the people here, the remnant of Judah, they could either trust God and live, or they could go down this path over here and die. And Jesus, in his ministry, talks about these two paths. He talks about this, this broad road over here that leads to destruction. But there's a narrow road that chases hard after Jesus that leads to life. And that's really the ultimate choice. That's the ultimate fork in the road that every single one of us come to face. It's the same one that's true in this text. It all hangs on this question. Will you trust God? Trusting God leads to life. Rejecting him leads to death. And so there's some of you in here, man, your first step in this whole conversation about trusting God and seeking his direction for your life, the first step is to take a step down the narrow road that he's calling you to and trust him for your salvation. Cry out to him, say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died for me. I know that you love me. And I'm placing myself under the blood of Jesus to be saved. If you do that, scripture's clear that you'll be saved today, right now. But then after that, every single one of us as Christians, the Christian life is about choosing to daily trust him over and over and over again. It's choosing this narrow road that Jesus walks. And so whatever it is you're facing this morning, whatever that fork in the road type of thing that you're facing, man, trust his plans, trust his presence, trust his power. Because all of life really comes down to this, this one question, and it's the whole point of everything we're talking about this morning. Are you going to trust God or not? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.